Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, beginning with the 54th verse. Listen for the word of the Lord. Jesus came to his hometown and began to teach the people in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their own country and in their own house. And he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First of all, I would like to take a moment to thank you for hosting me today. It is a joy to be with you. I moved from the East Coast to Minneapolis in the summer of 2020, which was quite a time to move. And I actually haven't gotten to do much travel, so this is my first time in Chicago. So thank you for the invitation and the introduction to your home. I promise you I will be back. I bring greetings and gratitude from the Covenant Network of Presbyterians, though, of course, Forth is blessed to have a long relationship with the Covenant Network and one of our board members on your staff. Though the work of the Covenant Network has shifted as the Presbyterian Church USA has changed its policies around same gender marriage and the ordination of LGBTQIA individuals, there is still so much work to be done to ensure that people of all genders and sexualities are truly embraced and experience God's love in our churches, and we are grateful for your witness and your support. There is also something surreal and beautiful about being able to do this kind of work openly in churches, receiving invitations like this, that honestly I did not think would be possible in my lifetime. I am a person who is attracted to all genders. I am a person whose gender identity falls outside of the man-woman binary. I use words like transgender and non-binary to describe myself. I am part of the group that reclaims the word queer. Not everyone in the community is comfortable using that particular word, but for me, reclaiming this slur is a way of saying yes, I am different. Yes, I may seem strange to many of you. And that is something to be celebrated. Growing up with these identities swirling inside of me, even before I learned the language to name them, and growing up in the church, it was unimaginable that someone like me would be standing in a pulpit. Now I must say I was lucky and I do say lucky, not blessed, because I do not believe that God decided to bless me and not others like me who grew up in less affirming spaces. I grew up deeply in the church. I, my parents are both church musicians, so I spent more time at the church than the preacher's kids did. 
I grew up in the South, so I grew up in a time and a place where not only did marriage equality sound like an impossible dream, but where sodomy laws were still actively on the books. And yet, I also grew up with supportive parents, with a pastor who years later would be brought up on ecclesiastical charges for officiating a same-gender wedding, and in a church that put love first. The congregation was definitely mixed on whether or not same-gender attraction was a sin, but I felt sure that even those who disagreed with who I am loved and cared for me as a human being first. Upon leaving my hometown, I moved to New York City, where there was certainly no shortage of affirming churches. Compared to so many people with similar identities, I had it so easy. But even with that almost as affirming as you could possibly get at the time background, I carry my own baggage. The pain and grief and weight that comes with the territory of being LGBTQ plus in this religion and in this country. The idea that my sexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching did and still does permeate this culture. I cannot remember a time where I did not have to justify my presence in the church. While my peers got to focus their energy on developing their relationship with God, I spent mine trying to make people see why I would even be allowed to have a relationship with God. I joke about it now, about how I knew more about the book of Leviticus than any fifth grader should have to know about the book of Leviticus when I was that age. But the sad fact is that some of the first Bible verses I ended up memorizing were the verses that were thrown at me to prove that my being was sinful. At the same time, I couldn't square those verses with the loving God I heard the preachers talk about in worship, so I dove in thinking, somewhere there must be more. And the church didn't really help me out with that search. The best I got was, it's not wrong to be gay which is a far cry from actual celebration of queer identity as sacred, beloved, as a part of, God who, of, of who God made me to be. I followed this yearning all the way to seminary, and I graduated still wondering, where am I in this text? What in this holy wisdom, holy word, is there for me, not just as a byproduct, as crumbs the dogs eat from the master's table, but a table spread for me in the presence of my enemies. By the time we get to this story in Matthew, of Jesus preaching in his hometown, we are already almost halfway through the gospel. Jesus has already been baptized by John, tempted in the wilderness. He's already called the disciples. He has done many miracles. He's preached the Sermon on the Mount, one of his greatest hits, and gotten in trouble with some of the religious leaders of the day for doing things like healing on the Sabbath. Jesus is well into his ministry by the time he comes home to Nazareth. And I have to wonder what it was like for him as he returned home to the buildings and the streets that he knew so well he could walk them in his sleep 
to the synagogue where he had learned and joined in faith, tradition, and community, to the people he grew up with, played with, probably mended furniture for, whose houses he'd gone over to for dinner, and whose children he'd gotten scraped knees with, the people who cared for him in that way that we care for those who we knew as babies who have suddenly shot up like a weed and that makes us feel uncomfortably older. I wonder what he hoped for his time teaching there in Nazareth. He had spread words of life already to many who had come to hear. He had sat with those in need of healing and helped them find wholeness. He must have wanted to do that here amongst people he knew and loved and who knew and loved him. He would have known the ailments and the illnesses that no one believed could ever go away. He would have known who needed hope, who needed guidance, who needed encouragement. And here he was, ready to teach, to heal, to proclaim good news for the captive and freedom for the oppressed. Here he was to tell of a God working for liberation, who blesses those who are persecuted, who gathers the outcasts. And his own people could not hear it. They saw him standing there, and they could not erase the image of the person who he had once been. They knew him, they thought, child of Mary and Joseph. Who does he think he is? They knew who he really was. They knew him better than he knew himself, they thought. A couple years ago, I was happy for and admittedly a little bit jealous of the generation that is growing up now, who have access to so much language about gender identity. If I had heard of the idea of non-binary gender identity back then, my high school and college experience would have been far less confusing. But in the past year or so, my heart has just broken for them. Once again, I am lucky, living in a state that is actively working to become a refuge state for trans people, while I'm hearing horror stories of legislation after awful legislation coming from so many places across this country that seek to erase the existence of people like us. And even though I know that there are many of these laws that won't ultimately be passed, this onslaught of anti-transgender legislation is speaking loud and clear, saying, we know who you are. You are who you always have been. We know you better than you know yourself. You cannot be this. And it is impacting people's lives. According to the FBI's hate crime data, nearly one in five instances of any hate crime today includes anti-LGBTQ bias as a motivator. The Trevor Project, a suicide prevention organization for LGBTQ youth, found in a recent poll that 88% of trans and non-binary youth have experienced negative effects on their mental health due to the debates surrounding the, this legislation. And when I went to the Trevor Project's website to pull that statistic, I was greeted with a pop-up 
informing me that I could press the escape key three times quickly to immediately close the website, a measure that was put in place for those who cannot even safely access a website that offers them help staying alive. And look, you might not agree with me or everything that I say here today, but I hope we can all agree that if the way this conversation is happening causes more kids to think about hurting themselves or ending their lives, that is a problem. That is not what God intended. And I keep going back to that last line of today's text in Matthew, and he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. I don't th think that Jesus needed their belief for his miracles to work or something like that. And I don't think that Jesus was refusing to do deeds of power because he was pouting that they didn't believe. I read these words and I just know how hard it is to do your best work, to be your best self, if you cannot bring all of who you are with you when there is something that makes you always need to prove your worth. One of the most beautiful parts of the Reformed tradition is our belief that our own worth has no bearing on God's love for us. We cannot earn God's love. We cannot lose it. God's love is a gift freely bestowed to us, period. But when people look at you with disgust, it's hard not to feel unworthy. When people actively seek to erase you from the world, to keep you from living out your full God-given identity, it is hard not to feel unworthy. When you just want to live and share your gifts, to celebrate the love and perspective that God has given you, and you are met with people saying you are a perversion, a predator, a phase, a trend, a mistake, I remember times in my own life when I have been rejected for who I am. I look around today at the backlash particularly targeted towards trans and gender nonconforming people, and I wonder about the ache in Jesus' heart that came from being rejected by people who he knew and loved, who could not see past what they thought they knew about him in order to see, learn, and experience who he truly was. This intimate and personal rejection that so many of us know, our Savior knows it too. There is something here in this book for me, for us, a resonance for all of us who know what it's like to have to justify our space in the church and the world. And diving in the message that Jesus spread the hope and freedom and welcome and belonging is one that so many of us have been waiting our entire lives to hear. This message Christ came to share reaches farther back than even Jesus' time on earth. The seeds are sown in some of our earliest scriptures. God creating us in their image. A God who can only be defined as I am, as pure existence. 
to the first lesson we heard today, where groups of people who had been historically forbidden from entering the temple, you can find the verse forbidding them in Deuteronomy 23, being given a place and a title better than sons or daughters. A line that hits those of us who are not sons or daughters in a beautiful way. To that vision of peace in Isaiah that we read every advent of the wolf lying down with the lamb, this image that shatters the laws of nature, the binary of predator and prey to create an unnatural and I would say queer vision of peace. To all the unexpected ways that God shows up in Christ, the paradox and impossibility of being both human and divine, the holy mystery of the Trinity, to the strangeness of the God of creation coming as a vulnerable baby, eventually riding towards death on a donkey instead of conquering on a war horse, and ultimately shattering the binary of death and life, whose followers kept being called throughout the chronicles of the early church that we find in the book of Acts to let more and more people in. From the Ethiopian eunuch, who was certainly not allowed full participation in religious community at that time, to the Gentiles, who the disciples were always told that they should never associate with. These images are so familiar to us that we miss the strangeness the unexpectedness, how queer this story is. It is all right here in this book that we hold sacred. This story is for us, for all of us, not in spite of the identities we hold, but because of them, in them and through them. May we all know, may you know, that you are beloved by God. God who says, I know you, I see you. I have your name, your true name, inscribed on the palm of my hand. I knit you together and I know your inmost thoughts and fears and secrets and joys and pains. No matter what comes, no matter what is falsely said and done in my name, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>